0: You're listening to Advancing Our Church.
1: The clergy, bishops, meeting there July 1st to 4th in Orlando, Florida. It's been under planning since 2009. Sometimes. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you really get the sense the successor of Peter, the one Christ chose to lead the church. This is the successor of Peter now. And Listening to the homilies is listening. So I think that's the first question, is how well do we listen and and hear what's happening?
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Advancing Our Church, a podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. We have an exciting show for you today and a very special guest from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. But before we begin, I'd like to first offer you a happy Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is a time for all of us to renew our own commitments to the mission of advancing our church. Not the podcast, but the mission of the church, because many people refer to Pentecost as the birthday of our church. It's called that because Pentecost is when the apostles went out among the people and began spreading Jesus' message, which pretty much established the beginning of the church. I think Pentecost is a time for all of us to examine how we are spreading the Word and evangelizing the Word of God, just as Pope Francis and our bishops are calling us to do. So, with that said, let's get to the work of Advancing Our Church. Our show today features a very special guest who serves as the General Secretary for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield. I invited Monsignor to speak on our show because this summer the USCCB will be convening an unprecedented gathering of key leaders from dioceses and Catholic organizations from all across the country in order to assess the challenges and opportunities of our time, particularly in the context of the church in the United States. The gathering will assemble Catholic leaders for a strategic conversation under the leadership of the bishops on forming missionary disciples to animate the church and to engage in the culture. I really believe that this convocation will begin something special in our church. It's truly an exciting time to be Catholic. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Monsignor Bransfield. So, welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you with us. Um, Maybe, uh, Monsignor, you want to start a little bit by telling us about your ministry as a priest.
1: Well, certainly. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be with you and with your listeners. Um, I was raised in the Philadelphia area in Roseboro, and I attended St. Charles Borromeo Seminary after discerning the vocation to the priesthood. I entered in uh, 1986 and was ordained to the priesthood in 1984 and served in the Archdiocese at St. Andrew's Parish in Newtown, Bucks County, for four years, and I taught at Archbishop Wood High School for two years. And after that, uh, Cardinal Bevilacqua at the time sent me to study moral theology in the area of marriage and family. I studied at the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family, both in Rome and in Washington, D.C. And after five years, I returned to the Philadelphia area and taught at St. Charles Seminary for three years. And and Cardinal Regali asked me if I would like to serve at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and this has been my 10th year of service here, and I serve as the General Secretary. So it's been a, a joyful, wonderful time, a time of great blessings, both within the Archdiocese and the opportunity to serve outside the Archdiocese. So I'm very grateful to the seminary and to all the faithful of the Archdiocese for the opportunity to serve them in
0: the Church. Well, oh, that's wonderful. Do you uh, so are you're a hometown uh, Philly boy, and uh, do you get yes. back to Philadelphia much?
1: Not as much as I would like. It's a full time <laughs> job here in Washington, and yeah. though I I know the way like the back of my hand, having studied in Washington, now served here for ten years. Yeah, I uh, would like to get there more, but uh, sure. But it's close. It's always close by.
0: Oh, sure, sure. So um, I'm curious. You are you're the general secretary for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops.
1: Well, the General Secretary is elected, it's a priest, priest elected by the body of bishops, all Mm -hmm. the active bishops, of which we would have in the area of 285 in the United States. I'm elected to a five-year term. The General Secretary is charged coordinating the work of the Conference of Bishops, and that consists, as I mentioned, of the 280 active bishops, but about 170 retired bishops. And really, the bishops each bishop in his own diocese is is really in charge, but the bishops, when they come together on a national level, they have for their own national priorities, their pastoral plan uh, they do that by means of a conference of bishops, and they convene as a body of bishops twice a year once in June, once in November, when they're not in session, they have a series of sixteen standing committees. Eighteen subcommittees that work across areas such as uh, doctrine, canonical affairs, divine worship, cultural diversity, migration, refugee services, evangelization, Catholic education, and so all of those committees, which total there are thirty-nine wow. here at the conference, that's the way they accomplish their strategic plan, their pastoral priorities for the nation. It's that only bishops can do, pastoral level across the United States. It's their pastoral voice and the staff support number is about 330 people, and the general secretary coordinates all of that, mm. through an executive team, through a senior staff, and I work directly with the president of the conference, Corporal Bardo of Galveston-Houston, mm-hmm. and the executive, which are Dr. in Philadelphia is a member. He's the chairman of the Committee on Deity, Marriage, Family, Life, and Youth. So all of the staff support to the bishops, 330 staff, that's 39 committees, and serve the entire body of bishops on charged with coordinating that and working directly with the bishops as we carry that out
0: wow that's a tremendous job what are some of the um, what are some of the issues and projects that the USCCB is working on right now
1: well, it, they have a number of issues that they work on, particularly protecting human life and dignity is a major issue, so that mm-hmm. would be our Committee on Pro-Life Activities, our Committee on Domestic Justice, Human Development, International Justice, and, and Peace, uh, particularly also Migration and Refugee sentences. So, all types from the resettlement of refugees to work for anything within a pro-life ambit, that's a major area. Certainly vocations and leadership in the church, Another, we have a committee on clergy, consecrated life, vocations, dedicated strictly to everything concerned with the promotion of vocations, but also laity, marriage, family life, and youth. So priorities in those areas in particular, priorities that are very close to the heart of the Holy Father with Laudato Si, with the care for the environment, the ecology. Uh, it's our creation, God, the, the God created the, the world, Everything reflects his glory and splendor, and human beings have a particular dominion for the gift of creation. Mm -hmm. And so, certainly in that area, but also in, in areas of cultural diversity within the Church, but also catechesis. How do we pass the faith on in Catholic schools, in Catholic education, across cultural differences, as we see more and more in the Church, but always remaining at that center of Catholic identity? And so the bishops have a number of priorities around that, engaging school superintendents, engaging catechists, promoting resources for use at the diocesan level on any number of topics that can be of importance with liturgy, with divine worship. Uh, so there are a number of pieces through communications that seek to be of service, especially to the poor and to the marginalized. All arising from the gospel, everything we do in the building you
0: can find in the gospel. Sure, and and I would imagine to some degree trying to follow the um the message or the lead uh, of the Pope of Pope Francis and 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 his, and some of his priorities. H- how how are those discussed, and and what um what role does that play in some of the discernment?
1: Well, as I mentioned, this is yeah. the key. Yeah, the Holy Father, the successor of Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been. You know, obviously, I grew up under the papacy of Pope John Paul II, and then served obviously ministry. Under his papacy, to a certain extent, and certainly under Benedict the Sixteenth, and now uh, under Pope Francis, and we see uh, Pope John Paul II was in a sense he was trained as a philosopher. Mm. So Philosopherius uh, was a trained theologian, so he was really the philosopher pope for twenty-six years, and then Cardinal Ratzinger became pope, and Pope Benedict was the theologian in a sense. So after philosophy, you have theology. Mm -hmm. And now Pope Francis, in my understanding is the way I see him, is he's the spiritual director pope. He's the parish pastor pope. He's the pope who inherits both of the previous, the philosophy and the theology, and then says, how do I apply it on the sidewalk? How do I apply it in the confessional? How, How do I apply it with people? And so, Morris Letizia, there will be a pastoral plan for marriage that will be more details will be coming up soon about that the bishops have been working on certainly Laudato Si when his uh, his work on Laudato Si emerged we gave a lot of dedication to that and a lot of resources to making known the beauty of God's creation and how it is our common home and we care for the earth and especially his deep affection for the poor, the marginalized, for the migrant. But we see throughout the Gospels the, the hospitality is not simply being polite It is the very nature of the Christian journey. It's the nature of the Christian journey. So to welcome the stranger is not simply an added-on nice thing we do after going to church. Hmm. It's what we do before, during, and after we go to church. In the ancient world, you remember Abram. uh, We've been pro-migration. The church is pro-migration since Abram took a step out of our (laughs) holy family itself was in flight in Egypt. And so when we welcome the stranger, we do it because the stranger is Christ, not because they're like Christ, because they are Christ. Hmm. And it's the very center of the Gospel. And so the Holy Father, by charging us to go to the periphery, you know, uh, go and and love and reach out. It's, It's the basic nature of the Incarnation. He came forth and became flesh. God never remained an abstraction anywhere. You know, he, he is always right before us, and to believe that is an exciting faith. So, the Holy Father, as we engage across the board, we do it in that style, for the joy of the gospel, His mm. smile, His dedication, His fascination with the missionary impulse, missionary impulse to go forth, is at the heart of why I became a priest, and and it's at the heart of the
0: mission of the Episcopal mm. Fantastic. I, I had the opportunity to see Pope Francis, uh, along with several million of my closest friends in Philadelphia, a couple of years yeah. ago. And uh, it was just electric having him in town, and uh, people were just so excited. It was a fantastic it's time. It's
1: amazing. Yeah. and You know, you really get the sense, the successor of Peter, the one Christ
0: chose
1: to lead the church, this is the successor of Peter now. And he comes into our midst, and immediately he brings unity. Yes. As, a, as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift fuses naturally with his, his, his total approach as a person. You can see it in his eyes, in yep. his handshake, in his smile, in the way he, he goes immediately to people. And every everything he does conveys that, that unity that's at the heart of the gospel. Absolutely. What, what a blessing that journey has been. That It's a landmark time in the Church, a historic moment. That one papal visit continues to give for generations. Yeah. And that's just the heart of the gospel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You could feel it on the street when he drove by. You could hear it in the crowds and the, and this, and the, just the, the shouts for joy. It was, it was a beautiful time. It was great to be a part of that.
1: The Pope brings it all forward. Wherever he is, he brings the entire New Testament, the Old Testament. He brings everything about the Christian tradition, the teaching of the church, the sacrament practice. Church, the pastoral future—it's all in his person, mm. and it's all around him. The Pope brings an entire atmosphere with him, both in his person and in his office, and it's palpable and it's unforgettable. Yeah, we it are. is just unforgettable. It changes you, and it changes history, and it changes a, a city like Philadelphia. It did, you'll mm-hmm. see the fruits of that change for a long time. And. Uh, it doesn't mean everything is picture perfect perfectionistic sense right right but it means everything is closer everything's within reach that that nothing remains on the pages of a book or on a blackboard or a library or on a computer screen or or behind an altar rail everything is within reach when the right,
0: pope comes right. close absolutely so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the convocation. So we, we have the Thirdly. convocation of Catholic leaders happening uh, in Orlando, July 1st to the 4th. And uh, I think I saw somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 people have been invited to attend. Um, give us a little background. How did the idea of the convocation come about? Is that a, a fairly recent thought or has this been in the works for some time?
1: Well, it's a boat land mm-hmm. uh, with the church. It's it's two things at once. And it, it was called by the bishops. It's an historic convocation. It's going to find, as you said, in that area of 3,000 Catholic leaders. So religious lay people, uh, clergy, bishops meeting there July 1st to 4th in Orlando, Florida. It's been under planning since, uh, you know, probably 2009. It, it took a real remote planning and because it, it needed to look at very Grassroots realities of our basic categories of churches teaching social justice, churches teaching on pro life, and we knew, you know, rushing can be the enemy. Patience is so important. I mean, we want things to stay in committee their whole lives. They have to move out. They have to be, but we knew this would be so important that we needed to take good time with it, to plan it well, and then the momentum of Pope Francis fused with it. We felt. And that's why the joy of the gospel, it's an apostolic exhortation on the church's primary mission of evangelization. So in 2013, that came in and really became the form of this gathering hmm. that had been under preparation for a couple of years. But then uh, it, it came in, his apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel. And that's the key moment. You know, as Catholics, we just don't smile with our mouth, we smile with our entire face. That's the joy of the gospel. Hmm. We we reach out with our eyes. We reach because we're changed by the gospel. And so it's been under uh, preparation for a long time. And all along, the goal has been to have an unprecedented, unique gathering of people, not just the same old workshop. Right. To have, this is a group of people that would never be in the same room together. They would never be in the same conversation together if it weren't for the bishop's calling this entire group, it's all kinds of ministries throughout the church, professionals in different fields. We have education, we have business, we have teachers, all socioeconomic groups. And, and the key is unity. As I mentioned about the Holy Father a moment ago, that joy brings unity. He, he, and, and it's taking his lead and his saying His apostolic exhortation is the guide. We're receiving it in stages over time. That happens with every papal teaching, and for the joy of the gospel, this is a pivotal hinge moment and as I said, we'll have the pastoral plan for marriage that will come up that will oritiia uh la dato c we've been certainly dedicated to and working on through our department on justice, peace, and human development, through evangelization and catechesis and both so it's it's really dedication to to our Holy Father in a particular way at this moment. Hmm.
0: Very, very powerful. I um, and I noticed that you just recently published a, a study guide so that participants can prepare for the for the for the uh, convocation. And uh, at the beginning, it asked them to consider four key questions. And uh, maybe you could spend a little time. W- what are some of the questions that you want participants to think about in preparation for this convocation?
1: Well, I think one of the key questions. Is, is what's the landscape of the renewal that needs to take place Mm -hmm. in the church? How do we chart it? What's the mission field right now? And, uh, what's the landscape of the mission field where leaders are in the United States, where we're called to work? What, what's the sign for the signs? And how do we explore that landscape together? The U.S. culture, uh, from research we've had, but also, you know, some sociology, yes, but also, What's our evangelical discernment, as the Pope said in uh, The Joy of the Gospel, that we have to look at that, listen, one of his favorite words, at least I think, from reading the Holy Father's writings and listening to the homilies is listening. So I think that's the first question, is how well do we listen and and hear what's happening in the culture? You know, we've moved uh, along the way. Uh, which, which the Holy Father himself has said, there tends that isolation in our culture that people can be in the same room, but they're still miles apart. And it can be in the family, it can be uh, in the classroom, it can be in the workplace. And it builds a quiet kind of despair that that only grows. So let's look at the landscape. I think that's a key first question mm. that, that's important to
0: explore yeah. uh, early on. Absolutely, absolutely. And um I think it's the second question was, how do we respond to this moment as missionary disciples? And I think that's so powerful because that's going to be part of probably the next step after the conference, right? What are we going to do now that we've gathered and now that we've discussed these topics? Is that fairly accurate? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Who is a missionary disciple Mm -hmm. and what are they called to do? That's the question. And so what is that understanding in the Holy Father's apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel and other church documents? And how do we advance the call and form that to be missionary and the, the, the disciple is the learner and the missionary is one who is sent. So you have, uh, you have an op, uh, the apostle, the sent one and the disciple coming together. Right. And as we go forth, we, we break out of our individual modes. It, so often in America today or in the West really, it's individualistic culture that I treat my faith as I treat everything else in my life, my hobbies, my recreation, my pastime, my work, the individual thoughts, that I do my thing, and once I'm done, I keep doing my thing in recreation or work. But the notion is, how do we reach out to others in, communion, in a communion of love? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so once we look at that question, then we have to move to say, what's the continuity uh, with the book? And who's missing? How do we go to the peripheries? Who's missing Mm -hmm. in our group? And uh, We seek to reach out to the many women and men who are disengaged, those who struggle. Perhaps, uh, obviously those who are poor, those in poverty, those with disabilities, people who could be hurt, angry, or uncertain. How do we go outside of that comfort, that regular phrase is our own comfort zone, to reach people and, and, and to transmit the gospel to them, you know, the, the transmission of the gospel isn't something that only priests, only bishops or, or, or only deacons do. It's also something that married men and women, single men and women do, uh, religious do. That it's not something we only do on Sunday for 45 minutes to an hour. That's the center of it. That's right. the source and summit of it. But it's also something we do. In the workplace, by charity, Saint Augustine said, "When you see charity, you see the Trinity." By uh, and I don't mean charity, just by being. I mean honest, real, a gift of self for others that that uh, we honestly care for the person uh, that we're sent to that God puts before us. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the natural follow through of this, is the spirit of mission. Mm-hmm. How do we uh, let Catholic leaders now become better equipped to reach out in evangelization, to go forth? It's natural places to go back to the diet.
0: Fantastic. and and you you talked uh, so much about you know reaching out to those and and you know in the in the guide that you that you drafted, um, part of that is I would imagine reaching out to those Catholics uh, and it's a rising group those who are former Catholics right so I would imagine exactly. that former Catholics being a, a, a very significant population. Is part of the conference meant to how to bring them back home to open the doors for it them? It is, yeah.
1: You know, everything uh, proceeds forth from and leads to the church. Mm-hmm. That's our goal: is to go out and and to listen to the reasons, to hear the reasons, and to note the reasons why people have left, and to be with them. And I, I think that's part of the real key as we look. Uh, several years ago, there was a poll done by the Center for Applied Research at the Apostle at Georgetown University, and the poll said that, uh, 22% of self-identified adult Catholics go to Mass at least once a week. Hmm. And they said, however, this was several years ago, the, the, uh, 77% are at least proud to be Catholic self-identified adult Catholics. So you have 22 that go at least once a week. So they're practicing, as we would define it, through attending mass, etc. But yet 77% of self-identified adult Catholics are proud to be Catholic. Well, that's the mission field, is that (laughs) that room between 22 and 77. And we see them a lot. You know, they're not atheists, or they're not skeptics. They're not You know, aiming at us saying, you know, we don't like the teaching. We don't like this. They're, they're, they're there. They're within reach. Yeah. And, you know, the key is that, that we can reach out. We see them on hospital visits. When, when the Eucharistic minister, the priest goes, or the deacon goes, or the religious goes to the hospital, we see them at back to school nights. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're together at confirmation retreats. And sometimes they come on Christmas and Easter. I was going to
0: say, yeah, they do.
1: (laughs) And and are our homilies geared at saying we miss you? Right. Uh, Are our homilies geared for that seven minutes you have? You know, a homily, really you have about seven minutes where you have on a given week, when you count in with that 22%, when you count in people who go once a month or twice a month, you could have as much as 30% of self-identified adult Catholics in front of you, in your area, on a given Sunday. Right. Imagine what Hollywood would pay to have seven minutes with 30% of their target audience listening uh, (laughs) for seven minutes. And that's, as priests or deacons, we need
0: to be ready
1: to preach the gospel in a way that speaks to the head and the heart at once. Yeah and to engage people to look them in the eye to to hear uh, to bring everything we've met in the parish through the week to know that we're in our experience and to bring the gospel to them to have a personal encounter with jesus christ in and through the word spoken in seven minutes we can do it Absolutely. and it's doable and it the key is listening hearing praying and and knowing the scripture knowing the life of the person in front of you knowing the signs of the times speaking to it and that's where the holy spirit generates something and he's always at work he doesn't rely on us but he he wants to use us as an instrument tool so we should bring everything we have so that he can do that and and uh it's so important and so that's the goal is to is is to make ourselves available to the holy spirit
0: absolutely and um and as you know the 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 spirit of this convocation is so deeply tied to the missionary spirit and our call to evangelization. How can, Monsignor, how can we as the faithful, some who may be listening now who work at a parish or school or diocese, some who may not work for the church at all, but how can we all live that missionary spirit today? How do we participate in evangelization in everyday life?
1: I, I think it's an excellent question. I think the, the key is, uh, by listening is, is a key piece. Listening and following, listening and following. So the Holy Spirit nudges our hearts a lot more than we give them credit for. And so we might be passing church. I, when I was very uh, much younger, as I was in teenage years, my thought was, well, church is where you go on Sunday, but, you know, you wouldn't go on Tuesday. And, you know, so you drive past one day and you think, well, wait a second. And, and you pull in and you spend some time in prayer. Listening to the nudges that the Holy Spirit gives us mm-hmm. to say, you know, uh, to serve the poor, or when the Holy Father talks about don't forget the poor, what's that mean to me today? Does it mean being charitable with funds? Yes, certainly. But does it also mean that I go to a soup kitchen, that, that I go to help the sister, Mother treats sisters? Uh, does it mean that I place myself in a vulnerable? Where do I feel vulnerable? That's usually where the Holy Spirit's calling me. Hmm. Where, where do I feel like, uh, I don't know that that's not something I would predictably do. Well, that's probably what the Holy Spirit, if we look throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit rarely says, okay, we're going to do what's very comfortable right now, what we were expecting. It just doesn't happen. And uh, so I think for us as Catholics, even for priests, for everyone, is to say, where's the Holy Spirit nudging my heart? He's been moving me. And I've not been, maybe not been paying attention. And we all have very busy lives with many, many commitments. And I believe it's right in the heart of those commitments. It's not running off and saying, well, now I might do something totally different. It's this thing, maybe it's, it's being patient and praying with my family, hmm. uh, instead of rushing here or there, taking time, even 30, 30 seconds. Maybe it means taking the end of my lunch break and, and, and reading a prayer of a novena or, or, Reaching out to people in the community, volunteering in the community to serve those who are hungry, who are hurting, and, uh, to reach out to those who feel neglected and distant from the church. Or maybe to say, hey, I'm going to mass this Sunday, would you like to come with me, uh, to meet, uh, a person? Because God is nudging their hearts too. You know, God is, God is, not, and when the two, when that operation of the spirit beats there is fruitfulness so i think really the key for us is the same as it was for the disciples in the new testament where is god nudging our hearts he's probably been nudging for a long time and we've been treating it as just a nice feeling or something i'd like to do if i have the time or but maybe he's pulling us a little more further now and once we get into that flow with him he'll take us to incredible places
0: you know, it's so interesting you say about listening because there are so many, um, distractions today, right? With social media and so many different things that we can find ourselves paying more attention to than our own prayer life, our own daily prayer life. And, uh, exactly. I, I really hear what you're saying on, on just that daily prayer life, that daily listening and conversation with him. Otherwise, how can we know what the, his will is for us? So.
1: Exactly. There are so many screens in our life.
0: the cell phone,
1: the iPad, the computer, the television. And the screen gives down several dimensions of the face. Hmm. Uh, There's no depth to the face on the screen. And the eyes don't have a depth. And that notion of encountering a person... And seeing the curve of the cheek, seeing the color in the eye, listening to the sound of the voice, uh, that encounter, you know, we're created in the image and likeness of God. Computers aren't. Right. I mean, they're great tools, but they're, they're not as in themselves. And sometimes if they're seeing human contact in my life, that's a danger. They can facilitate good communication, but they cannot facilitate human, the human. But, right. in all their own, and that's why it's so important for us. Time is the greatest thing we have, and we give time to those that we love, and we give time to the work we love and to people we love and to the God that we love and Sometimes we can be caught in sort of obsessing and trying to think everything through so much and thinking out every outcome that we don't allow freedom in. Uh, our listening has to be a listening of freedom that allows the Holy Spirit to nudge our heart in a way that we wouldn't have predicted, and that that, that I think, is the joy of the gospel. you know joy comes from a surprise. it doesn't come from uh, a predictable uh slavish routine. Joy comes from a surprise, and as the holy Father says, God is a God of surprises, and uh, I think that's our that's the beauty that's the beauty that we seek and screens don't surprise us they hmm. they jock us yeah uh but there's a big difference being being surprised and being shocked sure only a human or a, a god can surprise us, hmm. and that's the importance of of the joy of the gospel for us hmm.
0: so martini you're um your guide also talks about the growing Latino population in the church and, and working myself in Catholic education, I see a strong push in bringing in Latino families into our Catholic schools. And I see that especially here in our region in the Philadelphia region and then even nationally through like the Notre Dame ACE program. How do you, are, how are you seeing dioceses embracing the Latino population? And is this a big priority for the bishops?
1: It's a central priority for the bishops across all areas of cultural diversity, especially the Latino and uh, communities in particular with the Encuentro Gathering that will be, uh, it's also a priority of the bishops that's happening in 2018 uh, that perhaps is a topic for another time, but Mm -hmm. uh, I see it through uh, numerous ways in which dioceses reach out uh, through all types of cultural diversity training, through liturgical outreach, through a community gathering, but in a particular way, through really sharing all the same resources that we have in a way that can really engage the Latino community because they are God's gift to the Church of the United States in a unique way, in a, in a real irreplaceable way. Sure. They are the children, the children of Our Lady of Guadalupe mm-hmm. and they are more of a gift to us than we are to them in a sense, if, we're, if we are if we're to use those type of words. But mm-hmm. I think what we see is a tremendous awareness of consciousness that when we do teaching or statements here from the conference, we don't just translate them alone into mm-hmm. uh, Spanish, but we also make sure we're approaching in a way that the whole cultural reality can be received mm-hmm. and shared, not mm-hmm. just it's not something we do. Cultural diversity is not something we do for someone else. It's something we all do together. And the resources we provide through uh, training we provide through raising of awareness, uh, making sure that Spanish masses are available that confessions can be heard in Spanish that catechesis in Spanish isn't just a translation of books but is it engaging the full cultural reality so that we're able to reach the person and uh, the big gift of the Latino culture is that focus on family, that focus on devotion Mm. that we receive back. that's a gift to us that we have often lost other communities in the United States, had a certain type of understanding and then and then it has slipped away. So, there's a gift that Latino culture brings to us of devotion, of connectedness with families, of cultural encounter with others that takes.
0: this growing population, that it has to be a high priority in our formation of priests in the seminaries around the country.
1: That's central, and I've seen it when I taught in the seminary, mm-hmm. uh, both both in terms of, at first, obviously, to communicate the language skills, but also in terms of awareness of the, the liturgy, the culture, uh, the background, the heritage that's brought, uh, the, the manner of practicing the faith, but also, as I mentioned, the, the awareness of family, the culture, Mm-hmm. and so it's certainly in seminaries and are are building intercultural competency for ministers that the bishops produce through the uh, secretary to the cultural on cultural diversity in the church here through the committee on cultural diversity in the church is the program guide it's, it's a series of modules that can be used in dioceses but especially in seminaries to to really bring Full awareness of, of Asian culture, Pacific Islander cultures, of mm. people on the move, of migrants, sure. uh, Haitians. Uh, it, it's just a key moment, the African American culture, that the, the priest is a priest for all people and therefore makes himself available and and enters into this eagerly to learn and to be taught, and, and from that to be together
0: with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the, um, I would imagine going back to the the convocation for a moment that, um, you know, this is a, this is a conference about leadership and obviously you're hoping to form diocesan leaders through this experience in a sense are you hoping to train the trainers? Is that one of the goals to send these diocesan leaders out to train others in their own home diocese and share what they have learned? And, and how do you see this this being accomplished?
1: I think there is a part of train the trainers, but it's also to transform the transformer.
0: Ah, yes. One
1: who is to transform, mm-hmm. because we can train, but if we train the trainers, it's almost as if we're giving them a set of things to do with other people. And, and to a certain extent, that's correct, but it's really to say... How are you transformed mm. so that you can take this home, whether you're coming from the Southwest, the Northeast, uh, New England, uh, the Northwest, the Heartland, the South, yeah. uh, the Southeast, that you can take it home and adapt it. It's, it's not so much a program or a process as right. it is this openness to further, uh, being propelled outward in mission, mm. to going forth and Listening then and trusting that the Holy Spirit, once we have worked in ministry, once we have worked in parishes, studied or learned an expertise or been in community with others where we've been transformed, we've listened to the Word of God, things are moving in our life. And sometimes we always rely on the booklet or a program or a process where we give someone something to read and we, God, they have the participant's guide. And those are important on the launch pad when they, when we're in the propulsion, there's something very important about the original moment of listening. Mm-hmm. And so growing confidence in that, that the team they go back with is just as important as what they encounter in the team in the convening. We always turn back to the team we're with, that communion. So the parish priest with parish staff, with uh, the associate or pastoral associate, with school teachers, with the outreach team, Whoever's there, and sometimes it's three people, sometimes it might be one person, but to reach out and find the, the team and discern to it together where we're not in isolation. So if there is a train the trainers part, it's really the launch pad side and give some resources that are important, but to take the training wheels off trainers. I think that's in a sense what we're doing to say we, we do have a part that's training. There's a part that's very much alive in the Church, and has always been. But the part that we want to see more is the transformation. Uh, Through the listening that takes place in the sacraments, takes place in the fellowship, takes place in,
0: in communion. And that the, uh, the actions or rather the program in peace sounds as though it's more secondary. The transformation, the spiritual dimension of the conference is obviously in primary focus and the outcomes, the programs will be an out, uh, obviously an output of, of that, so to speak.
1: Exactly. Part of it's knowledge based as yeah. everything is, but other parts are affection based. Sure. In, you know, intellectual, intellectos means to read within reality. Mm. So the intellectual really is not the academic. In some ways, intellectual and academic are opposites. Mm-hmm. They're not synonyms because the intellectus means to read within the reality before me and to really listen to the heartbeat and to know what's going on. So part of it is knowledge based in a good sense. Uh, but part of it is awe, mm-hmm. the notion of, of wonder for the other. Sure. Uh, and then courage. How do I grow in confidence to be able to step out of my predictable patterns, to be vulnerable? And, and to see others as they do it, you know, we, we really learn a lot of ways that courage, the, the, the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to listen, uh, to take risks, uh, we learn that through modeling of others. We, we don't learn that in a book. We need, we need the book to help.
0: Yeah, for, that's certain for things, sure. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> but, but we, we really learn mostly by modeling, you know, when I think of my priesthood, I think of three or four priests that you know, that there were the ones that stood out for me that were models. There's no one model. There's about three or four that, that shift back and forth in my mind and, and, and for me, especially in my early priesthood and to where we take the training wheels off the trainers and say, now fly and, and go always within, under the guidance of the local bishop, always within the work of the local pastor, uh, but working in that leadership as a team that, uh, and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us in that docility that we see, especially in Our Lady's response to the summons of the Holy Spirit. How do we... And then, you know, in all of this, there's the taking up of the cross. The, the cross is never far away. and uh, So we need the nourishment of the sacraments and the the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. And as we take up the cross, we realize that the suffering we encounter does lead somewhere. It leads to Easter. And so trusting through that those holy Saturday moments of of loneliness or silence that that don't ourselves generate, would rather not have, of situations that seem inexplicable, especially when we go through them the other people and we say, Where did all this come from all of a sudden? You know, I, I didn't sign up for this tour here. This was not the cruise I wanted. And and trusting, you know, trust is trust in the Holy Saturday moments. And uh and then You know, we've just gone through it. Then the the ascension, where you know Christ takes His glorified humanity into heaven, and He sends the Holy Spirit into the church, and the Holy Spirit propels us outward. None of this is just us. If it was just us, that would be a a great uh, difference. It's it's the Holy Spirit propelling us outward from the ministry of Jesus through the cross and resurrection within the church, and that's our greatest strength.
0: Terrific. Um, Could is. um, Do you think there'll be a second conference, or is that in the works now, or are we going to wait?
1: What I I initially hope, as far as my own binoculars will go, is that this will then be received in dioceses or Mm. parishes. It'll take its new form in regions around the country. It'll be an impetus moment. It's a spark. And if need be, in the future there may be some type of follow up. I think it would be too early to tell. Uh, I think there's time to have to let it be, to let the ripples go forth, uh, to let the waves go forth, and we would do everything we could to sustain it. Uh, but in some ways, it's it's the best part of it is also the letting go. It's part of is sure the letting go to say now we entrust it locally. And, and then the bishop or, and his team is, uh, they have the capacity and range then to receive it and adapt it. And they know their people far better. And they're able to then say, now how do we move this forward? The evangelization of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. And, and how do we then speak it and build and receive it and heard it in ways that are unexpected, in ways that involve good listening? And in ways that, that trust.
0: So, Monsignor, my, my I guess my last question would be: if, if for those of us who are not able to attend the conference, uh, how can we contribute to the spirit of the conference and support those who are attending?
1: Well, I think start to pray, to pray for them. And I would go back to what I said earlier that mm-hmm. whether we're at the conference or not the Holy Spirit is not confined to a conference or a convocation, uh, such as this uh, gathering in Orlando. You know, the Holy Spirit exists all forms to limit himself, and the Holy Spirit shows up everywhere, especially where he is desired. And we often don't recognize at first the signs of his presence. So I would say the nudge in the heart, you know, the Mm -hmm. nudge in the heart is the key. And it's that that frees us from our uh, Feeling what we should do, we're feeling what we have to do, we're feeling what we must do, those aren't nudges, those, those are something else. But the nudges, the things we wouldn't have expected about our practice of the Catholic faith, those are the surprises. And whatever it may be, uh, joining a prayer group, being part of uh, praying as a family, or going to church, serving in some way, but, but really listening anew I think is the key. Say, how does faith become every day? Without becoming a holy roller, that, that's not the, the, uh, the goal here. It's listening well in the call to holiness. So that holiness becomes a lifestyle that isn't meant for, you know, uh, the few who we think, you know, are maybe spiritual Hall of Famers. It, it's really meant for every person God has created and, and since, and He'll create the way. So I think trusting, feeling the nudges, asking at the parish, how do I become more involved? What more can I do? And if we feel vulnerable or we feel like, ooh, I don't know, I never thought of that before, that's probably where we're meant to go in some ways. God rarely calls us where we would have predicted. Uh, that's more us than yeah. the world. But God's call is usually something that we certainly had no design on and that it is gradually unfolded so trust the gradual revelation through the nudging in the heart of God's call
0: beautiful Monsignor thank you so much for being on our show today I've learned so much uh, not only about the convocation but I think a lot even more about my faith just listening to you this has been very very helpful
1: well thank you for you do in Philadelphia thanks for your interest in the convocation and uh I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be with you and with your listeners. Please keep the Bishop's Conference in your prayers.
0: I want to thank Monsignor Bransfield for being on our show today. Thank you for being such an inspiring priest for all of us. I really learned a great deal on this interview. For more information about the Convocation of Leaders, please visit their website at usccb.org. Well, that's our show this week. I want to thank you for joining us for the eighth episode of Advancing Our Church. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit our website at advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Twitter at advancepodcast or join our Facebook group. Enter to win a $25 Visa gift card just by giving us a rating on iTunes. And please keep retweeting and reposting our show on social media. We sure do appreciate it. I'm Jim Friend. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care, everybody, and God bless.